The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast. I'm Justin Dunk, joined by John Hodge and J.C. Abbott. Today, we're discussing the Hamilton Tiger Cats being eliminated from the postseason. Nathan Rourke's first career postseason CFL start. The upcoming East and West Finals. The 2024 Grey Cup being awarded to Vancouver. And Rick Campbell getting to meet Canadian icon Sarah McLaughlin. But first... The Calgary Stampeders were eliminated from postseason contention following a 30-16 loss to the BC Lions in the West semifinal. Bolivar Mitchell entered the game in the fourth quarter in place of a struggling Jake Mayer and looked like his vintage self, throwing for 147 yards and helping his team score 10 late points. He made it clear after the game that his late-game efforts have changed nothing in regards to his future and plans, still plans fully intense on becoming a starter elsewhere in the league next year. What did you make of Mitchell's final game as a member of the Stampeders? Well, I think him coming in cold off the bench was incredibly impressive, and there's no doubt that he gave the Stampeders a spark at the end of that game. I thought he threw some absolute dimes, stuff that the Stamps had not had all game, and had that switch been made earlier, I think there is a chance that Calgary could have won that game with the way Bo Levi Mitchell was playing. Now, whether that is how he looks going forward, I don't know. We saw flashes of that earlier in the year when we thought, okay, maybe this is the old Bo Levi Mitchell who can sling it around. And then he regressed back to sort of check down Charlie, as it were. Certainly he showed he has that arm talent there. And it was great to be able to see him in that Stampeders uniform one more time, giving it his all for that franchise, just as he has for so long. It made some people around the league at least question for a moment whether the Stampeders were making the right decision to go with Jake Mayer in the future. But it seemed like Dave Dickinson was bound and determined 
to have Mare win that game. There were a lot of people that I talked to in CFL circles that wondered why Calgary did not run the ball more. We talked about it here on this fine podcast a bunch. I think all three of us agreed that that was one of the major ways that Calgary could take advantage of that Lions defense was run Kadeem Carey and Dedrick Mills, but those two combined had 10 carries. Like, that is just inexcusable from a play-calling standpoint for Dave Dickinson, who some people around the league feels like at playoff time might get a little too much in terms of the way that he goes about these game plans and maybe overthinks it a little bit. I thought the simple game plan would have been to run the rock, pound it down their throat, see if BC can stop it. And oh, by the way, keep Nathan Rourke on the sideline. But as far as Mitchell goes, he certainly looked like he still has the ability, at least for that short time, to lead a team, be a number one quarterback, and help out whatever franchise is fortunate enough to get him. He's going to be supremely motivated. He's clearly been done with his time excuse me in Calgary for a while in terms of knowing the writing was on the wall and he said just that after Mayor received that 400 plus thousand dollar contract for the next couple years and I think he just showed teams around the league that he still has some game left in him absolutely I mean if if you're going into the the offseason right now we've talked a little bit about QB needy teams right across this league uh, Bull Levi Mitchell has to be, I think, at the top of the wish list for upwards of three teams right now. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in the next segment. But at the end of the day, this was a strong showing for Mitchell. It was a small sample size, right? But he said after the game that, you know, his shoulder's feeling great. It felt good to be out there slugging the rock again for the first time in a long time. And by the way, boys, let's talk about that game plan for just a little bit. Ten combined carries for, for Kadeem Carey and Dedrick Mills. Dedrick Mills, I think, got two. Why are you dressing a running back who's going to get two carries? I'm sorry. Dave Dickinson is a fantastic coach, but that is foolish. There's no other word for it. They got cute with the end around with Malik Henry on the third down uh, uh, conversion attempt, but they had to establish the run, right, before doing so. Had the run been pounding and Kadeem Carey been there and been a real threat, then I think that play would have had a higher chance of succeeding. And by the way, boys, did anybody on this podcast last week say that Calgary's run game wasn't necessarily going to translate well to the Dome in BC? All right, that was me. Well, I don't think it was a, a failure of translation. It was a failure of execution. And Dave Dickinson, to his credit, he did say post-game that he called a lot more run, run plays than were actually run. The Stampeders checked out of a lot of them because of BC's defense gearing up to stop the run. But if that's going to happen, you've got to be able to beat them over the top. And Jake Mayer did not do that in the three quarters of action he was in for. And in fact, I would argue with the way he was playing, perhaps they should have run into the teeth of the defense a little bit more because it might have been more effective, particularly if you're dressing Diedrich Mills, who is just a straight power back, right? He's a guy who can mow you over. I don't know why he only got two carries in that game. Certainly, I expected him to have more. And by putting him on the roster, they hurt themselves in other areas because they had to take Peyton Logan, who's their primary returner, off the roster, who is, of course, a guy who has beat BC with big returns before. BC's special teams are a problem, and Calgary got almost nothing in the return game in that outing in the West semifinal. I think that goes back to the decisions at the running back position as well. 
it was a bit of a mess from a game planning standpoint in my mind from Dave Dickinson not being able to get the ball to the guys that need to get the ball because when they did they were fairly effective they still averaged over six yards a carry the Hamilton Tiger Cats fell behind to the Montreal Alouettes 22-6 in the second quarter of the East semifinal and nearly recovered losing 28-17 Dane Evans threw for 127 yards and one interception before getting pulled for Matthew Schiltz early in the second half making just the latest time he was benched by the team Marking, excuse me. Do you believe Evans will still be a member of the Ticats when the 2023 season gets underway? Uh, this is, I think, a question that, that needs to be asked. Right now, if I were to place a bet on this, I would bet that Dane Evans will be elsewhere in, in 2023. I really do. He is under contract for next season. But after making $430,000 approximately in 2022, he's on the books for more than that in 2023. Um, personally, I, I think Dane Evans deserves a place in this league. I think, you know, he's shown at times this year that he can still be a highly productive quarterback in the CFL. But if he's going to be a guy who needs to be platooned, right? He was that with Jeremiah Masoli for several years this year. He was sharing time at times with Matthew Schultz. He is not a guy who you can pay more than $400,000 to. That number needs to be cut in half, maybe even and then some. Um, he had a post-game or uh, post-season press conference on Monday, and he said the following, which I thought was very interesting. Quote, I don't think it had anything to do with coaching. I think it had everything to do with the guys in the locker room, the special people that they are, because we have this have some insanely special people on this team, some insanely special characters, guys that I'll never forget, memories that I'll never forget. Close quote. He was referring there to the team making the postseason after being three and nine after Labor Day, going five and one down the stretch to make the playoffs. To me, that quote does not read as somebody who's coming back to the team. He's talking about memories that he's going to have of this club. And I also thought it was interesting that he singled out coaching, saying he didn't think it had anything to do with coaching that the team went five and one down the stretch, but instead it was it was the guys on on the team. So. To me, I think Dane Evans could certainly be playing elsewhere in 2023. In his first year as the undisputed starter in Hamilton, what Dane Evans has proved to me is that he's a very good backup quarterback, and I don't think he's much more than that. I don't think he can shoulder the load for a full season. I've said before on this podcast how high I am on the high end of Dane Evans, and he's shown us some spectacular games. But the consistency week in, week out has just not been there. And to me, he's a guy that you want as your second stringer because he can come in and win you games. He can have those performances. He's shown an ability in the past to come off the bench and be effective. But as your number one guy, I don't think you can go forward with that. And and that's an unfortunate reality because I like Dang Evans, but he's got to be a number two. And right now they're paying him as an undisputed number one. The real question to me is, is Orlando Steinhauer going to have the courage of conviction to make that move? Because I think at a number of times this season, the Hamilton Tiger Cats probably needed to make a change at quarterback. Matthew Schiltz was playing better than Evans. They could have made a switch four games, and he didn't really pull the trigger. He defended Evans, I think, to a fault. And to me... He's got to change that attitude a little bit in the offseason 
because he can't be hitching his wagon to Dang Evans any longer, especially if he wants to keep his job with the Ticats. And Matthew Schiltz, the aforementioned quarterback, is a pending free agent. So if you're the Tiger Cats sitting there trying to decide who you want to lead your team at the game's most important position in the future, you better make that decision quickly because there's going to be some teams that are going to come after Schiltz. And Hodge alluded to it earlier, quarterback needy teams in this league that look at what Schiltz did in Hamilton and a lot of people are impressed with him around the league. There's some people even arguing that Dane Evans should have been sat down permanently and Schultz should have been given the chance to run the starting job. Now, part of that was due to the injury that Schultz suffered earlier in the season. But to me, Dane Evans had one game that stood out, a major anomaly against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and it will stay that way until he can back it up. He did not show me that he's a franchise quarterback, a number one quarterback, or a permanent starting quarterback in this league can he help you out with some spot starts as a backup yes but he has not shown me any consistency from a playmaking standpoint that he can be a starting quarterback in this league and especially from a mental standpoint as well I know he really tried to change that during the season if he can continue to make strides going forward there's still an opportunity there where I could see him having at least the mindset to be a starter in this league but Physically, he's just not been able to get it done. And I don't think a lot of people talk about his mechanics and his long delivery. You look at when Matthew Schiltz came into the game, and he was getting rid of the ball very quickly as a much quicker release than Evans. And I think that helps a lot. Evans has an elongated release, I would call it. Brings the ball up and around just to get it out. I think he needs to quicken that up as well. But I don't think it's a certainty more to the question that we pose to start, will Evans be with the Tiger Cats in 2023? I don't think it's a certainty. you got to look at the contract. You know, they could talk to him about restructuring. He does spend time in Hamilton and had his first child there in that city. So it's a place that gave him his first start. But I think it's going to be difficult for Hamilton to go into next season with him as the unquestioned starter. I think ideally, if you're the Tiger Cats, you can bring Matthew Schiltz back and let him see if he can run with that role, unless you're going to get in to the Bo Levi Mitchell sweepstakes. Well, and, and Dane Evans, you mentioned ha- him having his first child there, Doug. He, he talked about that in his end-of-season availability, saying, you know, that, that was tough. Like, his daughter arrived the first week of the regular season, and, and though it wasn't, you know, a, a, he, he made it clear, it wasn't as bad as what some people go through, it was a difficult birth. And obviously, anybody who is a parent, I'm not a parent myself, but anybody who's a parent knows, you know, the unbelievable stress and anxiety that can surround, you know, your child, your newborn child, possibly having uh, health issues. I'm not privy to all the details there. That's obviously Dane's private life. Um, but, you know, uh, that, w- that would be challenging for anybody, regardless of what they do for a living, much less being the, the franchise quarterback uh, of, of one of the, the you know, the, the, the flagship teams of the CFL. Um, that said, I think you mentioned a great point, Dunk. If you're the Hamilton Tiger Cats, why would you not get in the Bowl of Mitchell sweepstakes? You know, and if you're Bowl Levi Mitchell, why wouldn't you have mutual interest with the Hamilton Tiger Cats? You only have to win nine games to host a playoff game every year in the East <laughs> Division. That's fact number one. Fact number two, you're close to Toronto. We know that Mitchell potentially has interest in getting into media after he's done his playing career. You don't think that being in Southern Ontario could help that out? Plus, we all know that Bob Young loves to chase shiny new 
toys, and he would be a great shiny new toy for them to go and procure. He's going to have an easier path to the Grey Cup, and he's not going to have to deal with with the you know the the craziness that is Regina. I'm not suggesting that Bolivar Mitchell should never go to Saskatchewan. If that's where he wants to go, then bless him. Uh, but if given the choice between Saskatchewan, Toronto, and Hamilton, I think there's an argument to be made that Southern Ontario might be the best destination for Bo. Yeah, and, and from the Ticats perspective, I do think they need to make a bigger swing than Matthew Schiltz. Now, Schiltz has really impressed me this season. He's exceeded all my expectations. I've liked what I've seen from him, but I'm not sure if, if, if that's your choice to make him either the starter or in a competition with somebody. I'm not sure rolling the dice on the 29-year-old, 30-year-old back, career backup is the big swing you think it is. I'm not sure that's going to pay the same dividends as chasing after a high-end quarterback like a Bolivai Mitchell with the hopes that he can recapture some of his former glory, which we, as we all know, has happened in the CFL a number of times with older quarterbacks who have changed franchises and found success again in new locales. One thing I'll add quickly on Evans, we know that there are rumors, right, that that Sean Burke, GM of the Ottawa Red Blacks, could be bringing in right some more familiar faces that he used to work with in Hamilton, potentially in the coaching staff. We know that Masoli and Evans work together really well in Hamilton. Maybe that's a perfect destination for Dane in 2023 if he's looking to fix his image just a little bit. Nathan Rourke made his CFL playoff debut in Vancouver last week, leading his team to a victory over the Calgary Stampeders. He threw for 321 yards and two touchdowns in a win, despite taking a number of hellacious shots from the Stampeders' pass rush. What did you make of Rourke's first playoff performance? It was very impressive. It looks like he's back close to, if not the same dude that he was before the Liz Frank injury man that was awesome spatted cleats or not and of course we love that quote after the game referring to not wanting to be what was it criticized by three downnation.com if he didn't spat up his cleats but honestly i thought those cleats in particular spats or not he was looking swaggy out there okay in his get up and in the way that he played did not turn the football over completed over 70 percent of his passes looked very impressive despite taking some shots and all around a great performance from Rourke when, you know, we openly questioned last week on the podcast what he might look like. And we should probably credit J.C. Abbott, who was talking about how Rourke looked like in the preseason because he saw him with his own eyes in a game that I don't think was televised. And he felt like Rourke was potentially going through a similar process. So to your credit, Mr. Abbott, you're bang on because Rourke looked great. It didn't seem like he was phased by any of those shots or the moment. It seemed like he embraced everything, the large crowd that was there at BC Place, and he was cracking jokes post-game, which is something new from this Canadian kid. But all around, it was awesome to see him bounce back, lead the Lions to a win, and keep this hope alive for you know what I would like to see, to be quite honest, and I think the CFL office would too, in terms of Rourke, a Canadian quarterback, getting to the Grey Cup game. I thought he looked impressive. I, I liked the way that he played. I thought he moved the ball effectively, just like he had right throughout the regular season. Um, I will say BC's biggest splash play of the game came without him even on the field, right? Antonio Pipkin throwing the 45-yard touchdown pass, I believe it was to Keon Hatcher, on the third down gamble. 
Uh, but I'll say this. I was sitting watching, thinking about the perspective, of, just because I live in Winnipeg, the perspective of the Blue Bombers watching that game. And you're going, okay, so we're going to get a dome team next week after this quarterback. And we'll talk about this a little later on the show when we preview the West Final. But we're going to get a quarterback who just took an absolute beating. Like, he got the snot kicked out of him in this game from Calgary's front seven. BC's offensive line really missed Joel Figueroa, their left tackle. Uh, to me, that is full credit to Rourke, but it does have me a little bit concerned about next week. I I will make two corrections to or one correction to you, Hodge, and that is uh, they missed Figueroa less because the biggest hits came off the right side where Kent Perkins was in his usual spot, and Falarin Oromalage absolutely blasted Rourke on a couple of occasions on just inexcusable whiff blocks by the right tackle. And that's a guy who started all year. So there's no injury excuse on that front. In terms of Rourke's performance, I'm actually less high on it than you guys were. I thought he looked, and I I described it as human. In the first nine games of the season, he looked like a god, immortal, right? He was unstoppable throwing these 480-yard performances with four touchdowns. In this one, you could see that the injury wore on him. Now, that's not to say it wasn't wildly impressive, and it was, and the numbers back that up, but you could see that the mechanics that he's usually such a perfectionist with were a little bit more inconsistent, especially the longer he had to sit in the pocket. He would much rather take those big shots early in a passing play and be able to get the ball off, then he would have a collapsing pocket around him and have to shift around on that foot because that's where I thought he really struggled was when he was stuck in there trying to move around and it sort of deteriorated as the play went on because that foot is a real issue and and this should be noted as well. He's not doing any sort of pain management with this injury. There is no pregame injections He's not on any painkillers. He is feeling the full brunt of that surgically repaired foot the entire game so that he is aware of what's happening with it, and so is the Lions training staff. So I'm sure there is a considerable amount of pain that he is playing through in order to have these performances. And to me, that's just as impressive as had he gone out and thrown for 500 yards. Because he's doing these things where we can say he's better than 90% of quarterbacks in the league in in what he showed on the field in that West semifinal. And he's doing it with an injury wearing on him, battling through the pain. It was an incredibly gutsy performance. He was smiling post-game. He was cracking jokes. I think part of that was jubilation. I think part of that was a defense mechanism. Because if you... Read through the transcript of that press conference. Every time he was asked about his foot, he made a joke instead of giving a real answer. And I think he knew the secret to getting the the media to not ask a follow-up is to get them smiling and laughing and think they've got some really good content because he didn't give much away in terms of how he was actually feeling. And I think that's because it was was ailing him quite a bit, more than he'd like to publicly say. And hopefully his recovery stays on trajectory and he can keep battling through it like he did next week. Yeah, Betty was feeling it more after the game compared to in-game because you get that adrenaline flowing and even though you're taking some shots, it doesn't matter. When you're in the game, you don't feel that pain as much for anyone out there that knows and has been in pads and suited up and been 
between the white lines. When the juice is flowing, man, you are rolling. And unless it's excruciating pain, you're probably not feeling it as much as you would, especially after the game. So I think that's probably a large part of the reason why he was cracking some well-timed jokes. And you got to know as a quarterback, right? You got to know when you need to duck and get out of the pocket and dodge some of the oncoming defenders, or in this case, the media people who are trying to get an idea of how your foot feels. So, you know, looking at it from an analytical perspective, I think you can definitely take away that he was spatted up on his feet and for the uninitiated that's essentially just tape on his cleats because of the pain I don't think you start the game off without it and then you get part way through and put it on just to look swaggy for three down nation okay I think it's to help deal with the pain it can numb it in a sense like I used to spat up all the time when I played at the University of Guelph and I felt like a freaking superhero when you put those spats on man it feels like Nothing can take you down. It also does help stabilize your foot, but then on the other hand, it might potentially, this is what some trainers have told me, leave you open to some other more significant injuries just because the spat keeps your foot so tight. But you can spat it in a way that it can certainly help numb the pain or it can try to keep some of the swelling out of your foot depending how tight you want to go with that tape. So should I be spatting my foot when I walk my dog on icy Winnipeg sidewalks? Or should I leave it? It depends how much pain you're in or how swaggy you want to get. Well, my, my default level of swag is zero. So whatever I can do <laughs> to upgrade that swag number, I'm in. I will also say before we go on, full credit to the crowd at BC Place Stadium. Over 30,000 there. If somebody had told anybody on this podcast, or probably any of our listeners too, a year ago or, or maybe a year and a half ago before the sale to Amar Dolman that the BC Lions could attract 30,000 people to that city for a playoff game, you would have told them to knock it off with whatever it is they're, they're drinking or whatever it is they're, they're doing and live in reality. But Amar Dolman has shown in a very short time what actual investment from a competent owner can generate in a short period of time. That's another reason why I hope the Lions get to the Grey Cup. Mar Doman deserves this in his first year. Full credit to him, as you said, for creating some energy around BC Place and getting over 40,000 people in there. And I would argue that he did a better job. He got a bigger name just to sing O Canada at the West Semifinal than the CFL or the Rough Riders have gotten to perform at halftime. He could probably help him out. Doman deserves to be there, but now they got to go through a big team in Winnipeg, and we'll touch on that game a little later. The Montreal Alouettes are scheduled to play the Toronto Argonauts in the East Final on Sunday. The Owls are coming off their first playoff win since 2014. Well, the Argos are looking to advance to the Grey Cup for the first time since 2017. Andrew Harris somehow, miraculously, has returned to practice after previously undergoing surgery for a torn pectoral muscle in August. Who do you see winning this game and why, fellas? Let's start with the Montreal Alouettes. I thought the Alouettes' front seven played exceptionally well in the East semifinal. Uh, they generated pressure. They were still in the run game. Um, in fact, the Ticats' run game that had really come on in the last third of the season was a complete non-factor right, last Sunday in that postseason game. Um, offensively, Trevor Harris did Trevor Harris things, right? I think Charlie Checkdown was the term that JC used earlier in the show. I'll use that here to describe Harris. Um, not necessarily in a derogatory way. He did, 
He did, right, put up 22 points with that offense in the first quarter and a half of work. Uh, But no, Trevor Harris is not one to go out there on a regular basis and light it up with 400 yards and and four touchdowns. Um, On the flip side... Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The Argonauts, I mean, McLeod Bethel-Thompson has still never won the big game. That said, you don't win the big game till you win the big game. I don't want to write him completely off. Defensively, that team has been playing solid football. I'm not sure their offensive line is is as good as Montreal's. I'm picking the Alouettes to win this game, boys, and and that means I'm, I could put some money on them if I want to because right now the Argos are four-and-a-half-point favorites at home. I think the, the Alouettes have something of a feeling of a team of destiny here. I'm not saying they're guaranteed to win this game, but I am picking them to win this week, and I was the only one on this podcast who went 2-0 and last week. Just saying that in case our listeners want to trail my picks this week. <laughs> I would also pick the Alouettes in this game. And, and for me, it goes back to one specific reason. Last week I wrote an article listing one reason why every playoff team would win the Grey Cup, and then another one listing one reason why every team would lose their first playoff game. And for Toronto, my answer was their offense is just sort of meh, right? They don't have any huge weapons that really scare Hold on, you. What in the name of Curly Gittens Jr. are you talking about? Curly Gittens Jr. is a very good receiver. I don't Dude. want to, I do not want to dismiss Curly Gittens Jr. But but answer me this honestly, Dunk. How many other offenses in the CFL is he just the number two or even number three guy? He's the number one on Toronto, undisputed, but I don't think he's a number one receiver on six of the CFL's team, he's probably the number three guy if you stick him on the Alouettes, right? And that's no disrespect. You need multiple good receivers. You know, the best offenses have 3,000-yard guys like Curly Gittens Jr. But I don't know if he is that star, that guy, that major weapon. And the guys behind him are the same way. Devaris Daniels, Markeith Ambles, both very good receivers. I like them a lot. But... They're role players to me. And Brandon Banks is a shell of himself. Then McLeod Bethel-Thompson, we've talked about his inconsistency before. Can he win the big game? You know, he's got big numbers. Does he scare a team? And then in the backfield, A.J. Ouellette has been good. But it's telling that the conversation about this team, the biggest storyline heading into the East Final for the Toronto Argonauts is we are talking about the return of a 35-year-old running back who was averaging 4.3 yards per carry prior to a major almost season-ending injury and who's probably going to take more of a backup role. That's the hype around the Toronto Argonauts heading into this East Final. It's because overall their offense just isn't very exciting to look at. It, It doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. So that is why I would pick the Alouettes to win this game. You know, that take, JC, makes me think of whatever happened to Eric Rogers, because he could be 
sorely used in this offense, especially as a guy in the red zone. I will say, my own defense, I didn't want to jump down your throat again, but I think Curly Gittins Jr. is on the up and up, is ascending to potentially being that type of a number one receiver in this league. I do think he's that good. And if you talk to people around the league, they can see that as well. He's not that today, but I think I would argue your point that I don't think there's six bona fide number one receivers that stay healthy for an entire season in the CFL right now. I think Curly Gittens Jr. is working his way towards that upper echelon, needs to stack some seasons together. But I think he's really, really good. Brandon Banks is still good for a couple big plays, even though he's not the same dude that we saw win the MOP in 2019. But, you know, for the most part, I agree with you. There's nothing really sexy about this Toronto offense. The one thing that I think can change is Andrew Harris and his leadership and just infusing that energy into this team. If you listened to the Argonauts, and JC, you were there with me for Touchdown Atlantic, and the way that they talk about Andrew Harris and how they're playing for him essentially when he was in the lineup and even potentially when he was out of the lineup and now back in, there is a respect level there. And I think that that could help put the Argos over the top and get into the Grey Cup because Harris will want nothing more than to prove he can get back to the game and not the Winnipeg Blue Bombers going for three in a row, but Andrew Harris going for three Grey Cups in a row. Whether or not that's against Winnipeg, we'll have to see, and we'll dissect that game here in just a little bit. But I think that is a major storyline, and it is grabbing the headlines, young buck, because it is Andrew freaking Harris. Montreal doesn't have a guy that lives up to his advanced billing in terms of a star in this league. They have some talented players, but Andrew Harris is a name, whether people like it or not, especially with the PED background. Well, and I'm speaking of that, I, I have seen a number of jokes on Twitter about Andrew Harris's speedy recovery from surgery, um, asking if he has some of that special sauce left over from 2019. Um, I will say, if anybody in this league can come in cold and have a couple of great postseason games, doing doing it with nothing other than the seismic chip on their shoulder, it's Andrew <laughs> Harris, right? I mean, he's 35 years old as a running back. He's probably only good for a few games anyway. Why not have that game or those two games be in the postseason, right? So I, I am excited to see Andrew Harris play. Assuming he does play, we obviously don't know how much he will play, what the, the, the comparison will be between him and A.J. Ouellette, who's been very good in replacement of Harris this year, uh, but I'm excited to see it. That said, I'm still taking the Alouettes by a hair. Let's think about it this way quickly before we move on. If Andrew Harris is active and is suited up, and you're Ryan Dinwiddie, you're the head coach, how are you not giving that dude the rock as many times as possible? He's 35, you know, he's coming off this injury, there's a potential that he might not play much longer, and you know, a lot of people around the league probably don't think he can even play another year. I'm sure in his head he feels differently. But how are you not giving that guy the rock? Because he has shown, he just did it last year. Hodge, you saw that in Winnipeg. After he was out for a number of games, came back in the playoffs and ran the ball really well. I get that JC's alluding to this average early in the season, but this dude, pardon the pun, <laughs> knows how to turn on the juice when he needs to. The BC Lions will visit the Winnipeg Blue Bombers on Sunday in the West Final with a berth in the Grey Cup on the line. BC is coming off a big win over Calgary, while Winnipeg was on a bye this past week, waiting for the West Final. Who will win this game, JC? 
and why? This may be the toughest game to pick all year because I think, and and people are going to roast me for this in Vancouver, I think it's safe to say that Winnipeg is the better team. And they've been the better team for three years now. They've been the best team in the league. And there is no disputing that, right? I, But I'm a believer in Nathan Rourke. I've made that clear on this podcast numerous, numerous times. And what I will say, because I am going to pick the Lions, is that in the last two West Finals, Winnipeg has not necessarily lived up to their level of dominance, right? Saskatchewan has pushed them to the brink in those two games the last two years. And they couldn't get it done because they had Cody Fajardo at quarterback and he couldn't quite pull it off at the end. I think if they play down to the Lions in this game, right, if it becomes that type of contest, Nathan Rourke is the guy I trust more than anyone else in that situation. And I think he comes up big where others have failed. So I'm going to pick the Lions in this contest. What did you just say, JC? You think that Nathan Rourke can come up bigger than Zach Kolaris, who has led the Blue Bombers to two straight Grey Cups? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, did, did I stutter, Dunk? Did I stutter? <laughs> I got handed to you, kid. You got some stones, man. You did not stutter. You said that confidently. And I like where you're coming from. I totally agree with you on Winnipeg in those West Finals. They have not played well when they've had some extra rest last year. And then the other West Final, of course, in 2019 was in Saskatchewan. And the goalpost helped them get there. But they were still able to pull it out. And I actually like the way that it didn't seem like Rourke was phased by the moment at all. That said, I just have this picture in my head. As much as, admittedly, I want the BC Lions to win this game because it would be the best storyline for Three Down Nation and the CFL as a whole, I just have this picture in my head of Willie Jefferson and Jackson Jeffcoat beating up Rourke. Unless Joel Figueroa magically heals up, and even if he's in the game, he's still going to be feeling what's ailing him. And Mr. Perkins on the other side there has got to play much better against these two ends who definitely know how to crank it up in the playoffs. That's a major question mark for me. I think Rourke can go toe-to-toe with Zach Kolaris, but we need to see Rourke do it. Kolaris, multiple times, has been able to show up in these massive situations for Winnipeg. Overtime in the Grey Cup is a perfect example last year. Doesn't matter what he did earlier in the game and come up clutch. We know that's proven with Kolaris. Rourke has to show us in the playoffs. I'm not doubting that he can't do it, but I need to see it first. Yeah, to me, if this game was in Vancouver and Nathan Rourke was perfectly healthy, I, I, I would be tempted to take the BC Lions. It's worth noting that Winnipeg smoked BC in BC in the early part of the season. Obviously, that's a long time ago at this point when Nathan Rourke was healthy, but I would be tempted to take the Lions if this game was in Vancouver, in the Dome, and Nathan Rourke's 100%. But when you add in Winnipeg being rested, what is going to be an electric atmosphere at IG Field, an extremely Winnipeg-favoring crowd, right? When you add in the cold and the weather, which I think is, is going to benefit the Blue Bombers in their style of play more so than the BC Lions' style of play. And then you add in the fact that Nathan Rourke is obviously not 100% for all the reasons that you alluded to, Mr. Abbott. I'm taking Winnipeg to win this game, and I'm taking the points at minus 55 
it is the larger line that I'd like to take, but I'm I'm comfortable taking the Bombers by a touchdown here. Uh, to me, uh, yes, the, the Bombers did come out flat in last year's West Final, but to me, that was not the Riders pushing Winnipeg to the brink. That was the Bombers coming out with not even their B game. That was coming out with their C game, right? They turned the ball over six times in that contest. I think they were all in the first half even. And they just kind of woke up, played their B game in the second half, and and coasted to a win. Um, this is a team that if they come out and play their A game, this game will not be close for the reasons I've listed. If they play their B game, I think they win it by a field goal. Um, they can't win with their C game like they did a year ago. I think BC poses more of a threat than Saskatchewan did last year. But in this instance, I'm happy to take the Bombers, um, given the circumstances at play here. I will say to defend my pick one more time, you talk about the Bombers B game and their C game. I think we've seen that from them more often than people give them credit for or or talk about because of their record, right? The Bombers have come out flat in a number of contests, played down to their opponents a number of times, and come out with victories despite that fact. And I think that's a testament to that team, how well coached they are, you know, that culture that they are able to find those ways to win and to battle back. But at a certain point, right, winning in football is half talent, half luck. At a certain point, you may have all the talent, but the bounce is going to go the wrong way. And the Bombers have been on the right side of a lot of positive bounces. They've come out with tight wins against opponents they've played down to before. I don't think they do this time. I think they'll come out a little bit flat. They were fired up for that last contest against BC. They got the victory. They sat down for a week. I think they're going to come out flat, and I think Nathan Rourke takes the BC lines over the top into the Great Cup. The one key difference here, and I'll give credit to JC for once, even though I just like to razz you a little bit, is that you could argue that one Mr. Cody Fajardo has not shown that he's been clutch in the playoffs, and that Rourke at least has shown that he can come through clutch in these big-time game. So if those games were tight against Saskatchewan, what can Rourke do if it's potentially a one-score game late in the fourth quarter? For the record, I do like the Lions plus the points. I think it will be a very close game. BC has a bunch of playmakers that's going to create issues for this Winnipeg defense that has not been as good as their historic levels a year ago. That's not to say that it's still not a great group, but just hasn't been as good. They haven't quite had that edge, I think, is kind of what JC was alluding to, especially this season for whatever reason. And even though we think of them as this undefeatable team and have won two straight great cups, there's been some close games in there that they have had go their way. And I think that's why they are so good. But at some point, yeah, that football just bounces the other way and luck can go against you. I think the Lions are going to be difficult in terms of the way that James Butler can potentially take over a game. I don't think we talk about that enough because there's so much focus on Rourke, and especially if Lucky Whitehead can find a way to get back into the lineup. I think that can be an absolute game changer with the way he can take the top off the defense and open it up for the rest of the guys there. I mean, Brian Burnham is still doing ridiculous things. That catch was unbelievable in the West semifinal against Calgary. But if Whitehead's there, it adds a different element to this offense. I think Rourke will be fine dealing with the cold. He played at Ohio University with the Bobcats, is used to that, so I don't think that's necessarily going to bother him, though we have seen 
dome teams in the past struggle with going outdoors and just not being comfortable with it. But I really love this game. I think it's going to be a close battle. And honestly, guys, it opens up a discussion that I think needs to happen more seriously here in the near future in the CFL, that in reality, this should be the Grey Cup. This matchup is super tasty in so many ways. And there's going to be a team, no disrespect, that gets in there from the East Division that just won't create this hype. If this was BC and Winnipeg in the Grey Cup, it would be unbelievable. Let's just think about it for a moment. And yes, it's hypothetical. You'd have the Blue Bombers going for three straight Grey Cups against the young upstart, oh, by the way, Canadian quarterback in Nathan Rourke and with the BC Lions fantastic owner, Amar Doman, in that championship game. It would be wonderful theater. I think it would create more of a buzz. So I think the CFL needs to seriously look at that in the future. I, I fully agree with that. And and just for the record, if, let's say, the CFL went to a format where it was a divisionless postseason, so to speak, you know, you, you could look at Winnipeg and BC getting first round buys. That would mean that the uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats would have had to go to McMahon, right, in one semifinal, and the Alouettes would have had to go for another semifinal. So let's say, hypothetically, those games are won by Calgary and Toronto. All of a sudden this week, you've got Toronto at BC, Calgary at Winnipeg. To me, those matchups, to use Mr. Dunk's word, are juicier than the ones that we've got right now. And of course, you have the possibility of it being a Winnipeg BC or a, or a Calgary BC Grey Cup. I don't think the national thing, frankly, matters anymore. Why? Because it's not 1960 and we can all watch the games on TV. Like, give me a break. Anyways, time, boys, for Hodges Heritage Moment. On this day in 2000, Eddie Murray signed his final NFL contract to join the Washington Commanders. The Halifax native played 19 NFL seasons with seven different teams, spending the first 12 with the Detroit Lions. The two-time Pro Bowl selection won Super Bowl 28 as a member of the Dallas Cowboys, a game in which the opposing kicker, Steve Christie, was also Canadian. Did you boys know that two Canadians once kicked against each other in a Super Bowl? I had no idea, Hodge. That's a deep dive in kicker facts from your boy. JC's probably too young for that, but yes, I do remember that. I love these Hodges Heritage moments, man. It makes you think and recall some of these situations that are unique and edutain the audience, too. Let's keep it going to the three-minute drill. The CFL unveiled its divisional All-Stars last week. What was the most surprising thing about the second list? Well, to me, the most surprising thing was that there was a second list. I, I still can't wrap my mind around the fact that they announced 19 All-Stars incorrectly. Unbelievable. BC Lions head coach and co-general manager Rick Campbell said the best part of the week, uh, West semifinal was meeting Sarah McLaughlin. JC, did you get a chance to meet her? I did not get a chance to meet Sarah McLaughlin. I am a fan just as Coach Campbell is. I will note, he made that comment completely unprompted. Everyone had wrapped up the press conference, and he's like, whoa, no one asked me about Sarah McLaughlin? I absolutely love her. Took us, <laughs> took us all aback. The Edmonton Elks signed Canadian linebacker Adam Konar to a two-year contract extension last week. Is that a big deal? It is for the impact he has on that team, special teams, and as a starting linebacker. Chris Jones loves that dude, and it's clear Konar is going to be a building block for that team for the foreseeable future. Hodge, you reported the CFL's attendance was up 13% from last year, but fell short of pre-pandemic levels. Which teams have the most work to do 
2023. I think we know one. Well, we all know that the Toronto Argonauts attendance has been lagging, but the other two boys are in the province of Alberta. Edmonton and Calgary have some serious work to do to fill those buildings, or at least get them to more respectable levels of attendance. Kevin Mittal of the Laval Rouge Aor was named an RSEQ All-Star after making 12 touchdown catches in just eight games. How good is he? He is historically good, and he's got several more years of eligibility left. By the end of this guy's college career, he is going to be a record-setting monster and coveting, I think, on both sides of the border. Western and Queens are primed to meet in the Yates Cup for a second consecutive year. Which OUA powerhouse will come out on top? Oh, this is a juicy matchup. You have Steve Snyder, the Gales head coach, who spent some time with Greg Marshall at Western, so these guys know each other really well. I can see ways in which Queens can win this game. I was there in person when they absolutely ran rough shot over the Griffins during the University of Guelph's homecoming game, and I think the Gales are for real, but it's a totally different thing to go down to London. That stadium, it gets so freaking windy there, and Western knows how to play well. The one guy that if you're going to tune in and watch some of that game to keep an eye on, Edward Wynotti, a running back for Western, who Greg Marshall sees some likeness to one Jesse Lumsden. No, he is not of that level yet, nor has he put up anywhere near the numbers. But when you see him, you can see at least a physical resemblance. Wynotti is a very intriguing prospect. CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrosi released a statement in support of officials following a high-profile attack on a football referee in Quebec. Is that a prudent move? Absolutely. We, we, we bang on Randy Ambrosi a lot on this podcast. He takes a beating from the media in general. This was a good move. This was a showing of leadership. And by the way, everybody complains about officiating when it's bad. And yes, there were a small handful of bad officiated games this year. But by and large, I thought CFL officials did well. And we never talk about them when they do well. We only ever talk about them when they miss calls. So credit to CFL officials. By and large, I thought they had a good season. Vancouver was awarded the right to host the 111th Grey Cup in 2024. JC, does that mean we get to party at your house? Well, I put, the, <laughs> I put that out on Twitter for the three down guys. Like I had all sorts of people responding. So I'll let you guys know my address so long as you don't share it with the rest of the riffraff. <laughs> Saskatchewan Huskies quarterback Mason Nyes was named a Canada West All-Star last week. Do you think he'll also be named the conference's player of the year? Yes, I do. And he should also be named the Heck Crichton Award winner for the 2022 U Sports football season. I know that there's some other potentially worthy candidates, but he's thrown the football all over the field for the Huskies in different types of elements. Last week was a snowball in Saskatoon in the Hardy Cup semifinal. And I think nice is full marks to win the Heck Crichton trophy. Hodge, you reported the free agent list for the Hamilton Tiger Cats and Calgary Stampeders. Who's a player those teams need to resign the most? To me, in Hamilton, it's Tim White. I thought he took a fantastic step. He could be a guy who leads the entire CFL in receiving yardage in 2023. For Calgary, it's Falaran Arimalade, the defensive end who I think, you know, with all due respect to Sean Lemon, who had a very good season is maybe the most underrated player in the CFL. He certainly showed what he could do in that West semifinal. He was a game wrecker, albeit in a losing effort. 
Calgary Stampeders president and GM John Huffnagel said he plans to continue working despite rumors of him contemplating retirement. Is that a surprise? It's a little bit of a surprise given that he's 71 years old, Hodge, but he didn't say what role he'll continue to work in. And you wonder if it's better for that Stampeders organization if he steps away from the GM role and just remains on as president so they can sort of have a little bit of a transition, maybe hold on to some of their high-profile coaching candidates going forward. Dunk, you reported that ratings for the CFL's semifinal matchups dropped by 27% this year. Should that concern the league? A little bit, because if you look at the ratings from 2019 to 2021 for semifinal Sunday, they were pretty much the same in and around, I think it was 870,000 in terms of average viewership for the two games. So the fact they're down about, I think it was 250,000 in this regard, has to be concerning. A lot of people out there will say, well, you're hating on the CFL and people are cutting the cord and they're watching it and streaming. Well, if a lot of people were watching it, via streaming on TSN, then we'd be hearing about those numbers, okay? But I don't think it's super concerning for a couple of reasons, and that was because Sunday was a really packed sports day. Of course, you had the NFL playing, the Titans and the Chiefs played on Sunday night, which wasn't direct competition, but still people only have so much time in the day. You had the Maple Leafs playing at 5, the Raptors were playing at 6, so the fact that the BC win over Calgary still drew over 700,000 was the top-rated sports broadcast on the day. Yes, it's a playoff game, but it's still a win for the CFL. Dave Dickinson and Bo Levi Mitchell have mutual interest in coaching together in the future. Think that would be an ideal fit? Absolutely. Dave Dickinson is a fantastic coach. Bo Levi Mitchell, though he also seems to have interest in going into the media, I think would be a good coach as well. Maybe he'll go, maybe he'll go the Henry Burris route, kill it in media, and then become a coach. Last one, Canadian offensive lineman Chris Van Zyl says he wants to return for a 14th CFL season and is under contract with Hamilton next year. He's scheduled to turn 40 midway through the 2023 season. Do you think he'll be able to stay healthy next year? I love Chris Van Zyl, and I hope he does, but my response to this can best be summed up with a with a tweet that I saw after his announcement and I forget who said this but they said it best he didn't even return for his 13th season why is he coming back for a 14th he missed most of this year that's just a fact I'm not sure he's going to be able to recapture the magic JC, always bring in the real. Appreciate you, buddy. Thanks, Mr. Hodge. And be sure to tune in next week for our podcast from Regina. We'll be together, boys. Catch you next week on the Three Down Nation podcast. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.